Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, where the best minds in the drone world come to engage. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher at Inside Unmanned Systems, coming to you live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., with your hosts, Sean Bullard and James Poss. Hello, I'm James Poss. And I'm Sean Bullard. Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rodian Schwartz. Today, we've got a couple of guests here, Timothy Bean from Fordham. Uh, he's the CEO and also Stan Patterson with Radiance Technologies. Okay, so we've had a really great series this month, Sean. As you know, our, our theme has been Counter UAS, so our first episode. We had a, a senior analyst from DHS, Dan Johnson, that talked about uh, kind of the criminal threat, uh, you know, slash terrorist threat. And we, I think we convinced ourselves that there's a considerable threat from off-the-shelf drones that you <laughs> can certainly. buy off the Internet. Most certainly. Uh, that we then talked about uh, <clears throat> the impact of the, the Gatwick incident back in December 2018. Right. I had two speakers from the United Kingdom to talk about that. Next episode, we had two speakers to talk about uh, how you start to do something about drones. How do you track them? How do you track them with radar and cameras? How do you track them using their electronic signature? Right. Really good uh, discussion uh, with Luke Fox from White Fox Defense last time, who talked about the electronic countermeasures you can do against Outstanding. It. And Luke had an interesting perspective. Uh, his perspective was, if you look at the clueless, careless, and criminal, um, really the clueless and careless are definitely going to use off-the-shelf drones for most of the time, 99.99% right. of the time. They're going to be known data links. Uh, you can put uh, commands into the data link and tell them to go home, and that's going to cover a major portion of the threat. So when you start talking about what's left in the threat, you got the criminal side. There's opportunistic criminals that are going to, again, use off-the-shelf drones that data link jamming, uh, data link uh, insertion techniques may work against. But what we've got this week is we're going to talk about our last best line of defense, which is what do you do against an adversary that's programmed on autonomous drone that's not going to respond to any external um, uh, commands and is heading towards some critical infrastructure defense. Uh, you, you just can't do anything from an electronic perspective to take him down. you got to shoot him down. So... Without further ado, I'm going to um, introduce uh, two sides of the fence. Uh, we got Radiance Technology is going to talk to us about what you can do from uh, lasers and perhaps other types of directed energy. And then we've also got Fordham Technology that's going to talk about what we can do with nets. Now, truth in advertising, we tried uh, for the past month to get a third technology. Which yes, we is, did. Believe it or not, biological. Yes. And uh, there's a company overseas that's been using eagles, uh, trained eagles, no kidding, to uh, take down drones. But unfortunately, they declined to comment. So we're, we're stuck with just the cool stuff, lasers and nets so i yeah i'll tell you what i'm gonna we're gonna let the let the lasers go first here so stan could you kind of just tell us a little bit about your background a little bit about radiance technology and then start telling us about why lasers are good for shooting down drones okay i'm stan patterson i'm an electrical engineer i have a degree from the university of alabama in huntsville uh, i worked for the u.s army for 34 years as a civilian employee uh almost all of that time working in the Army's laser research programs. Wow. Since then, I've been working for Radiance Technologies, uh, supporting Radiance's laser programs. Uh, Radiance is a medium-sized defense contractor. We have about 1,000 employees, and we primarily support the U.S. Department of Defense. In that support, we support the Army and other 
DOD agencies in the area of high-energy laser development. So can a drone be shot down by a laser? Absolutely. The first lasers to shoot down drones uh, were done in the 1970s by both the Army and really? the Air Force using the then – yes, yes. I've uh, seen the video. They were using it's on YouTube. Current, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's videos of it. There was a program called the Mobile Test Unit that the Army had where the Army shot down uh, a drone from an actual mobile platform. Uh, not something you would use today, but but the technologies have continued to be developed in the years since, and currently we have uh, capabilities in hand to be able to shoot down drones with uh, lasers in a military environment. Well, yeah, talk a little bit about the development of laser technology, because, um, you know, growing up in the Air Force, uh, you know, we've always been after lasers, and I can remember uh, we had the uh, uh, airborne laser program that was a, literally a Boeing 730, uh, 747 uh, that had a laser, but it was huge, and most of the space was taken up by chemicals because you had to use chemicals to take a shot, and if you ran out of chemicals, you couldn't shoot. I mean, if we get better technology now? Yeah, well, the technology is certainly more uh, packageable, but more useful for uh, for the sorts of things we're thinking about. Uh, for example, now we have diode-pumped solid-state lasers. The diode-pumped uh, lasers was a real innovation that came in about 15 or 20 years ago, which allowed lasers to be more compact, to be purely electrically powered, uh, not requiring any chemicals, not requiring any high-pressure gases. Oh, and wow. then in addition to that, yeah. In addition to that, the only cooling required would be uh, sort of water cooling. So, so they're very much uh, basically use diesel generators to power a battery bank that then powers the laser. So, as long as you got power, you can keep shooting your laser. It's no longer uh, you got to refill up with these, you know, very expensive chemicals and all that. So, how? How? I mean, what size is a you know, a quote-unquote drone-killing laser these days. Is it bigger than a bread box, smaller? Well, a typical laser system that might do something like that would fit on something, say, uh, the size of a Gator vehicle or easily fit in, in say, a normal pickup truck. Really? Uh, these systems are have gotten to be, you know, quite compact, and, and, and some of them are nearing man-portable size, maybe boxes that... Si- two or three people could carry around. Well, okay, wow. so let's pick on a you know, on a pickup truck size one. I mean, how powerful is that radar uh, laser, and, and what could you shoot down with it? IPG Photonics, which is one of the companies that makes the lasers we would use on this sort of thing, has a commercially available a 10-kilowatt single-mode laser. So a laser of that size would be effective in a counter-drone application probably out to more than a kilometer so that just and and that sort of laser packaged with its beam director and ancillary equipment would easily fit you know in sort of a pickup truck sized package so stan let me ask you uh would you or could you use that around an airport yes i i I get that you can use them for a dod thing but i mean really how realistic is it to start shooting lasers off around atlanta hartsfield airfield well, it's hypothetically. It, first of all, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It's <laughs> sort of a, the type of thing that has not been been fully 
developed yet. But in general, the gr- the biggest risk is eye damage from reflections right. uh, from the target right. while it's being engaged. Uh, well, some and, and of not the getting hit by the beam itself. By, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't the beam bounce off right, of something, the, and the, or right. does that not happen? Well, the the beam can bounce off the target. The, the tracking procedure is such that the the beam is not allowed to be deployed unless you have a good track on the target. So right. you're, you're generally not going to miss the target other than perhaps for a okay. small fraction of a second after you've destroyed the target. But the reflection from the target could be an eye hazard to personnel in the in the close vicinity. Oh, gotcha. uh, and now most seriously, that would be if an aircraft pilot were to mm-hmm. be in the area when you engage were engaging a target and happen to get a reflection. That could be a catastrophic mistake. Yeah, lasers. Um, you know, Fordham Technologies builds a uh, a small radar. It's a pound and a half. You can hold it in your hand. And um, you know, Boeing's one of our investors, and you know, they have a laser also, and and um, a lot of um, companies like Radiance have used lasers in a military environment. And I would just want to second what Stan is saying: is they're quite effective. And I think what really? it depends on is having a good track. Okay. And uh, most of those tracks often come from radars, and. You know, with with our small compact radar system, and you know, radiance is getting smaller and smaller. These are becoming um, you know more helpful in a in a military environment. I think um, it's going to be a long time, however, before you deploy these in a city or in a commercial environment because of um, just sort of the collateral damage and, and things that you know Stan's been talking well, uh, about. Okay, so I, I think what I heard you know both of you guys say is this this. Lasers can work against drones. They sound like they're effective if you get a good track, and we can talk about that later. But uh, I, I thought the uh, the danger was going to be from the beam itself, you know, missing the target and you know, hitting an airliner right. five miles away. But what you're Absolutely. saying, it's actually hazard division, and, and I buy that. I know we've had a numerous injuries in the Air Force, you know, where you know pilots have been blinded by these uh, laser rangefinders and all that. Is there anything you can do to mitigate that risk with lasers? Well, one one of the big ways to mitigate the risk is not all wavelengths are created equal in terms of the potential for eye damage. So by choosing a laser that operates uh, in what is known as the eye safe band, the, the threshold for damage to the eye can go up by as much as an order of magnitude. That, that particular band is around 1.55 microns. Uh, However, lasers of the power level for a counter drone system in that wavelength band are sort of just now uh, reaching a level of development where you could you could think of using them. So we're going to take a little break here to give you a message from our sponsor. Thank you for joining Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rodian Schwartz, a leader in test and measurement for radar and EW, satellite technology, avionics, navigation, and guidance. Rodian Schwartz products help protect critical infrastructures with drone detection and defense solutions. Learn more at InsideUnmannedSystems.com. 
So, Tim, we had a, a earlier uh, episode uh, last week where we got into the urban environment, which is very much somewhat the holy grail within the small within the UAS space. Um, where do you see some of your capabilities um, in that in that area, which is extremely attractive, which is that urban environment? Where yeah. where could it be? And tell us your background, yeah. too, and, and, and how does Fortnum fit into this? I mean, you said you had lasers, but do you have other um, technology? Yeah, so, um, you know, thanks, guys. Uh, you know, my background, I grew up as a software engineer and um, have built large software platforms for um, governments, enterprises, and carriers. Um, the Fortnum Technologies, you know, our product's been built over the last six years, and um, we founded the company, and... Um, it's been an exciting, exciting experience because uh, what we do is we have these small radars that you can sit and hold in your hand, right? And we and we instrument them across a site like a stadium or prison or these types of places, or across a campus, a city, or an entire region, right? And we create this network mesh of total airspace awareness, so you know everything flying in the airspace. And once you have that data of what's flying in the airspace, um, then you can make decisions of corridors for safe package delivery, or you know air taxis and. So it's like a virtual picket fence. Absolutely. Okay. And and one of the applications you can have running on top of this you know large platform is the Fordham Drone Hunter. And so if you're if you choose to use a laser in a city environment or whatever mitigation, um, the, the first step is really understanding what's there and you know with these distributed radar systems. And then what Fordham Fordham doesn't build a laser. We build the radar systems that can help guide lasers. But okay. more importantly, what what we what we propose is we queue cameras to look at the drones, okay. and we also queue what we call the Fordham Drone Hunter. So the Fordham Drone Hunter was featured on the NBC Today show, if anybody wants to see the video. Okay. It's a drone with a radar on it. It's like a missile. It's like a radar-guided missile, but it's a radar-guided drone. Right. And it's like a magnet. When it sees a drone in the airspace, it follows it like a dog on a leash. Okay. Um, shoots it with a net and tows it away. Oh, wow. With a tether. So it's like a little All autonomously. Uh, mini uh, F-15 uh, interceptor. Instead of shooting missiles, you shoot nets. That that works? Absolutely. But what's, um, what's powerful about the concept is it's all autonomous. So when you have this digitized airspace and there's something that enters a no-fly zone, our AI can figure out the threat when it enters that geofence. And based on the threat, you can have a number of different countermeasures that you want to bring to bear one being the drone hunter, you know, to fly and right. pursue it and uh, remove it. And it happens all autonomously a mile away from your venue. So okay. um, it makes for a very safe standoff distance. Okay, i got to warn you, Tim, uh, we got a lot of senior folks at the FAA that are, you know, hopefully going to listen into this. I think they just all fainted when you said that yes, it happens autonomously and it happens beyond line of sight. Yeah, I didn't hear you say so, that, yeah. so that's going to get edited out of the program. <laughs> so, how, I mean, no, you can, can you use your system within current Part 107 rules where the pilot, it has to be a remote pilot, has to fly it, and it has to be with visual line of sight, or does it only work uh, beyond line of sight and autonomously? Yeah, well, right now, um, in the United States, it can be legally operated by DOD, DHS, DOJ, DOE, 
you know, at the federal level. Um, yeah, state government, uh, governor can ask for help and that authority can, can be granted. In terms of the FAA and its flight, you're right, you need to operate under Part 107. So that operator would have to have line of sight to be able to see the drone hunter and, you know, call it home. Um, and there's, you know, um, man on the loop capabilities to call it home. But the, the person uh, with the line of sight following Part 107 is not operating the drone. It's tracking the, the rogue drone autonomously and, you know, taking the shot autonomously, measuring so, so the can you So can you give us a sense of how many you've deployed? Yeah, we've deployed quite a few in, in the U.S. Uh, you know, DOD and to a um, number of orders from other um, military groups um, around the world. We also have um, – we launched in September of this year, so we have over a dozen Skydome deployments. These are radars covering sites or urban areas. And uh, where we are working with authorities uh, with the drone. So, you, so you mentioned stadiums, and I could see other events. You know, NASCAR. You know, events where there's just large concentration of of, of people, parks. music parks, and others. Where this would be a a it would sound like a godsend for, uh, let's say, a local police chief. Uh, not to Absolutely. get into local, state, and government here, but um, I could see where someone who's responsible for the health and well-being of hundreds of thousands of people in one place within a county um, would look at this and say, "I I really would appreciate yeah, if I had a system like this." That's illegal, though, Sean. You, I know, state and local know, guys don't have any authority. I know they do don't, that. but maybe they could so, call someone. Uh, okay, so we're doing town. this podcast. <laughs> where the New York the New York Police Department just petitioned the federal government to get. Yeah. Authority, the federal government at the DOJ DHS level just received the authority in October, right? Um, through a congressional act, and um, they're working on guidelines on, you know, how do they work with state and local officials um, as this, um, you know, threat. Yeah, you, you, there are fifty. You're preaching to the, the choir, Bowl. Tim and John, Sean, and I are big yeah. supporters of getting state, local, and uh, tribal authorities, you know, granted counter UAS um, authorities. That you're absolutely right. We're only just given back in November to DH, DHS, FAA, and uh, DOD, and to a lesser extent DOE. Um, it, my, my problem with that approach is, you know, that's great, you know, and I'm, I'm sure the DHS will, you know, protect the uh, the Super Bowl, but who's going to protect the Florida Georgia game? Or the Mississippi State Ole Miss game. Yeah, which actually needs protection. I'm surprised the SEC guys haven't been using drones against each other yet. <laughs> so how, how do you handle that in your segment of the market? I mean, that, that's got to be a tremendous potential market for you, state and local guys, but oh, it's illegal. There, there's, it's illegal because there's a 1984 um, statute within the FAA called the um, Anti-Piracy Act where you cannot shoot down an aircraft. And, you know, we believe in that. We don't want our aircraft shot down when we're flying from New York to San Francisco. And that's an important statute. Um, but there's forward-thinking people that understand that uh, in these local and state governments that common law can prevail. Uh, common law being, you know, right to privacy, right to self-defense, right to imminent threat to harm or life. So if a drone is is flying, if, if a drone is flying toward uh, James's head or to your wife's head, you know, you can reach out and knock it down with your hand, right? And no one's going to prosecute that, including the FAA. And so there's some forward-thinking people, um, law enforcement, these security sites that are saying, hey, let's let's put in a system to 
digitize our airspace to understand everything that's there day and night, not passively listening, but actively looking for everything. And um, if there is something coming and it, um, it, uh, is very very threatening. I've never heard that one before, and you know, and truth in advertising, we are planning to have a big series on how state, local, and tribal authorities fit in with the federal side. And as as, as everybody knows, there's two sides of that. Most of the commercial guys, and certainly the FAA's uh, ideas that uh, you know you can't penny pack it out airspace across the country. We've never done that. The FAA needs to control all of it. Or are you going to have a patchwork of uh, of laws out there? And Sean and I agree with that, but we also agree that there's, as you mentioned, uh, you know, there's got to be a role for state, local, and tribal authorities out there. So, you know, Tim, it, seeing as how you agree with us, we might we might have you back for that show. So, if you don't mind, that'd be great. And I think the big the big shift, and this is why the federal government, I think, is hung up on state and local, is because they don't want the state and local walking around with jamming guns and opening everyone's garage door and messing with the spectrum. Right. It's a huge concern for privacy and hacking. And this is why, you know, Stan and I, when we talk about these physical countermeasures are so important because right. the real trend that's happening that Washington is missing and that state and local understand is that when they fly a drone, whether you're careless, clueless, or criminal, the kids aren't using joysticks anymore, folks. They're using iPads. Right. And when they get their iPad out, they set five or six waypoints and the drone flies. Right. And as that drone flies, all it's doing is listening to GPS. It's not mm -hmm. emitting any RF. And so it flies right over that RF antenna and it's not detected. And that's why people are putting in radars to actively see it. And that's why you need a physical countermeasure, whether it be a laser or a, a drone like the Fordham Drone Hunter, because there's nothing to jam, there's nothing to hack, there's nothing to electronically intercept. So I think those in Washington that are concerned about giving state and local the authority, I think they'll, they'll come to their senses around common law and what that means. They'll understand that um, jamming and electronic attack is becoming you know, less of a, an approach because it's just not possible with these iPads. Now, some people will say, well, you have the video downlink. Um, we can pick up the video downlink as the kid is watching video flying his drone. But, you know, you're not solving for that kid too often, you know, looking at video from his drone. You're solving for the criminal element that right. might be just 1% of the flyers, but he's 100% of the risk or 99% of the risk. Right, and, and it so, only takes one too, doesn't it? Yeah, so these lasers, uh, whether it's a drone hunter, we're solving 99% of the risk because it's very easy on any of these commercial off-the-shelf drones to turn off the RF and just fly on waypoints. And um, I'm not telling anybody that's in the business what, the, what they don't already know. Right. And um, the so, FBI director testified before Congress that something's going to happen. And granted, we had, you know, one of the RF guys in here. So his point was, well, you know, being able to do something about the data link takes care of, you know, 99.9999% you know, of the drones out there. But your point is, is that 0.00001% that's 100% of the threat. Because that's what you got to really worry about as a guy that can, you know, fly a drone in autonomously, maybe even not listening to the GPS. You, you've got to have that physical countermeasure in order to do that. That's that's yeah. a good point. And these, these percentages are all made up, right? The Super Bowl had 50 drones. One came very close to the flyover. And oh, so, wow. you know, it's, um, you know, what are you solving for with your metal detectors at a stadium, right? Mm -hmm. That that. 0.001% guy that walks in with um, 
to do something crazy. And um, protecting your airspace, you know, is a tenth of the cost of protecting from the ground. So wherever you're spending on security from the ground, you need to really look at the airspace. Do you, do you think, I mean, I, I recognize the reluctance of uh, certain technologies within within you know, the state and local space, but do you think that because of your work and your experience and background with both of you within the DOD space, could you possibly at the state level maybe use National Guard, you know, the adjutant oh, general there yeah. as a stepping stone where the adjutant general, who is already the DHS lead, um, uh, there within the state, most likely, um, and many state adjutant generals already wear two hats, which is with the guard, but also emergency management. Yeah. Could 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 that be a solution to and I'm, and devolve I'm gonna, that technology down to the, the state level? I'm going to ask the active duty army guy to possibly say something good about the national guard. So, Stan, what do you think? Does the guard have a role in this? Guard with lasers at the state and local level. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I'm not certain, actually. I think that oh, the <laughs> potential is certainly there, although they would certainly need to be work in concert with the civil authorities. So the civil authorities, I would think, would need to would need to task them, although for, you know, high profile sporting events that might make that might make sense. Uh, I think one of the big things, though, is just that as we get lasers out there within the DOD and within the the other more restricted environments, I feel that we'll get confidence in their use and confidence that they can be safely used that will translate to the civilian world. Okay, so we, we've got a little bit more time here. We're going to wrap up in a minute. Can you guys both uh, kind of give us a sense of where you see kind of the threat level right now here in the U.S.? Well, as it pertains and, and, to having yeah. to physically take out drones. Right. Yeah, um, three major European cities believe they have a 90% chance of being attacked this year by uh, terrorist drones. The FBI Director Race testified before Congress that a drone attack on American soil is imminent. Okay. Using commercial off the shorts drones. So I just uh I, I quote those people. And my my final thought on all of this is um you know, if you have a stadium, an airport, um prison, uh, all these areas that are vulnerable, oil refinery, a lot of people are waiting for the federal government to do something. Um, the FAA is not staffed to enforce anything. The FBI, DOJ is not staffed to enforce anything. Really good point. When something good comes, point. when something when something comes to your airport, the airports, even the army bases, what do they do? They call the local police, and the local police have to drive around with their head looking through the windshield, trying to find the drone. Right. Hopefully, right. catch it before it lands in 20 minutes. It's a ridiculous situation with a ridiculous set of old statutes that need to be changed. And there's a lot of forward-thinking people at stadiums and others that are doing something about it using common sense. And we're working with them and applaud them. And we work diligently with Washington and the state governments to you know, catch up with the technology. Because if we don't, um, we're just going to be being reactive instead of being proactive. Yeah, great point. You're, you're, being, you're being golf clapped. Uh, they're they're yeah. editing that out because it doesn't sound good on the podcast. But that, that's an excellent point. So we're, we're kind of towards the end here. So I... You know, Stan, yeah, sum it up for me. I mean, can you really use lasers, um, you know, given all the, the, you know, the risk you said you have to precisely point it. Uh, you got to worry about eye hazards. 
is are lasers a technology we can use in the civilian market? Or do we need to think about or, it? Or more? when will we? When will we use it in the civilian market? Yeah. Well, I believe that they can be used with an appropriate choice of wavelength. Okay. Uh, the the primary the primary reason for that is the extreme safety considerations using them in a in a civilian environment. Mm -hmm. But we've looked at wavelengths that that would allow uh, good enough propagation to have the effect you need to have, but be partly absorbed by the atmosphere such that they present a minimal eye hazard to anyone on the ground. So with appropriate geometry use, appropriate choice of wavelengths, I believe the answer to that is yes. Okay. All right. Good answer. All right. So, Tim, uh, I'm going to you know give you the next to last point here. You must have looked at all kinds of physical countermeasures. Um, could you kind of characterize the good points, the bad points, and why you, why you went with nets? So if I, I, I bent them into, you know, lasers, directed energy, uh, some type of net, you, you picked an aerial one vice, one from a rocket or yeah. Why or, net? And uh, then there's, of course, the biological. Why nets? Why nets? Uh, nets are safe, and um, we use a material that's beyond Kevlar, you know, water-resistant, very, very accurate. Um, really, the, their core technology is the radar on the drone hunter that gives us very accurate, very close, and it allows us to take the threats away, you know, miles away, uh, safe standoff distance. And when we shoot a net, we tether it. So we'll tow away the drone to a location where, um, you know, it's a safe location, safe from the standoff distance, pre-programmed where you want it to go. We have drape nets. We do have other effectors that are on the bottom of the drone hunter for swarms that I can talk about under NDA. Maybe not today, maybe for another <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah, this is going out. But, um, yeah, so the, um, you know, nets are safe and uh, inexpensive, and they're easy to operate over an urban environment, over people. Okay. And so that's why we chose Thank you, Tim. Our guest today, Timothy Bean from Fordham CEO, uh, Stan Patterson, Radiance Technologies. And this has been Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rodian Schwartz. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tim and Stan. Oh, thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Bye. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher of Inside Unmanned Systems, saying farewell from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C.